Hey, real quick, would you like to join me for a fun and super practical challenge to increase your online visibility? The Visibility Kickstarter Challenge is hosted by my friend Alina Vincent, who, if you don't know, she is the queen of online challenges. <clears throat> and that means that this is going to be one of the most actionable, value-packed, and fast-to-implement challenges that you have ever been a part of. I recently used her challenge method in my last launch, and it was the most effective challenge we have ever run, and it was easier than any, ever, any challenge we've ever run uh, as well. It is completely free, so if you want to join me, I'll be there. Head over to jenlaner.com forward slash 084 to sign up. And again, that's jenlaner, L-E-H-N-E-R.com forward slash 084. Hey guys, it's Gary Vaynerchuk, and you're listening to the Front Row Entrepreneur Podcast with our girl, Jen. I am really excited to introduce you to Miriam Shulman, a watercolor and mixed media artist for over 20 years and founder of the Inspiration Place, an online art class site. Miriam abandoned a hedge fund career after witnessing the devastation of 9-11 to work on her art full-time. Rejecting the starving artist myth, her watercolor and mixed media paintings have been seen on NBC, published in art magazines and home decor books, and collected worldwide. In addition, New York museums have carried her artistic accessories in their gift shops. She's been published in art magazines such as Art of Man, Art Journaling Magazine by Stampington, and was a regular contributor to Professional Artist Magazine. She's a host of her own podcast, The Inspiration Place, a podcast for art lovers who want to quiet their inner critic and reconnect with their lost creativity. Welcome to the show, Miriam. Well, thanks for having me, Jen. It's a thrill to be here. You know, the Front Row podcast features interesting people who have deliberately decided to sit in the metaphorical front row of life and business, and you really are the poster girl for this in so many ways. But you know, it's interesting. There is nowhere in your bio, and although I've known you for a little while now, it, it wasn't until recently that I learned that you have some serious Ivy League credentials. You studied at Brown, right? And then M MIT? Dartmouth. But like, I never wanted to be one of those people who leads with that. I know. <laughs> you know, there's like, if people who go to Harvard, you know how they go, you know, they went to Harvard? Cause they because they tell you, right? They like, like Rain Man, they work it into the conversation, you know, no matter, right? Within the first 15 seconds of meeting them. So I just don't also consider it like a huge part of my identity. Yeah. I mean, you, you're absolutely, you're, I mean, you and I are in, in the same mastermind and we've met many, many times. And I've read your bio several times in different places. And, would have never known if it just didn't come out just sort of because it was pulled out of you. And I just thought that was so interesting. And here you are with this thriving online business, teaching women how to paint. So can you please just bridge the gap from those early days going, you know, being an Ivy Leaguer? And, and by the way, what did you study at MIT? Wasn't it like AI or something? Yeah, it's computer science. Well, also, the, the other thing is when you're trying to tell people that they can do it, you don't want them to think that they need a master's degree from MIT to figure out <laughs> MailChimp. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so that, that's the other reason I kind of downplay it. 
But the, the thing is, Jen, is that I've always been somebody who had creativity. That, that was something that I've always done. Like when I was in high school, I drew my teachers. And it was mostly because I didn't believe I could make a living as an artist that I pushed that to the back burner. But I did have these other skills and I leaned into that to become financially independent and build a career. So you're asking me like, well, how did I transition when 9-11 happened? And I actually was already on maternity leave at that time. When 9-11 happened, it's, I just made a conscious decision that I was not going to go back to Wall Street and start living my life purpose. And so then what were the first steps that you took? I mean, that's it's a big jump. Yeah. A lot of times I'll shortcut the story because it does sound glamorous to say, well, 9-11 happened and then I decided to become an artist. But it actually didn't really work that way because I still didn't have that belief. And I'm sure, Jen, with your the, the people you coach, that it does take a big belief to to start a business and they might struggle with that as well, whether it's becoming an artist or owning your own business. So the first thing I did was I actually started teaching Pilates Okay. Uh, yeah, right. And during that year when I was teaching Pilates and I was working for New York Sports Club, they were teaching me how to sell personal coaching packages. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's when I had this aha moment was like, wait a minute, I don't want to be hustling to sell personal training packages. I want to, I want to use these skills to sell my artwork. So that was really kind of like that in-between bridge step from going to like, okay, I have a job where I'm, I'm making a paycheck to, well, I still kind of had a job in making a paycheck, but now it's like, all right, well, I actually have the skills and I can use these skills that they're teaching me how to sell Pilates packages to sell art and art classes. So that's how I actually uh, made, made the leap and said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on this full time and let's see what happens. Well, you know, I work with a lot of course creators and aspiring online entrepreneurs who think that you can only make money if you're selling something that makes people money, like a course about marketing or a course about funnels. Mm. So what do you say to those people? Yeah, I, I completely disagree with that. And I'm so glad you brought this up. So first of all, like we, we, we know Brooke Castile is making $15 million or $25 million a year life coaching, right? Making mm -hmm. people happier. So art is just one more way that you can make people happier. The, the real thing that you have to look at, whether you can make money in a niche like mine, is whether you have people who are... I forget who I heard say this. I think it was Russell Brunson, irrationally passionate. Hmm. So art is something that people are irrationally passionate about. And there's niches like that, like golf or, or, or their pets, dog training, things that people are willing to pour their money into because they're passionate about it. And art is one of those things. So then how do you, how do you go about like, tell us about the first dollar you made, I guess, with, with, with your online business? Okay. So with, with online, I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> so uh, first, like I had to have proof of concept of selling something in person organically. Yes, I'm going to sell art and people, people want this. But when I made the leap online, so it was at least 10 years ago when I started selling online, I started on eBay. And that has kind of, I don't even know who sells on eBay anymore. But back then, there was nothing else to do online but shop. 
Do you remember that? Yes, the early right. the early days of the internet. There was no Facebook. There's no Instagram. There was only shopping. So that was a gold mine. If you had any kind of computer skills and you were an artist and you could figure out how to throw that up on the internet, then you could you could make sales. So now it's a, it, the marketplace is a little more crowded than that. But what happened when I was selling on eBay and then Etsy is I got approached by somebody who said, do you teach online art classes? Mm. And that was, Jen, the first time I even heard of such a thing. I was like, what year was that? Um, oh, gosh. Um, t- 2012, maybe. Okay. Okay. So I was like, whoa, what's that? You know, and first of all, the online thing, you know, being somebody who is, does, is technical and has some, knows some skills and not, and basically, cause I'm not intimidated. It's not that they taught me at MIT how to build an online class. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm, right. Right. But just, I'm not intimidated by that sort of thing. So I was like, well, what's that? And the customer who had approached me, she says, she told me what it is. I said, who's doing this? And she told me other people she knew who was doing it. And I went and I stocked them out. And luckily, I didn't know about places like Skillshare. I'm not sure Skillshare was around then. I think there were platforms around back Mm -hmm. then where you could like venues where you could sell. But I thought you had to build your own site. (laughs) And I'm really glad that that I didn't know about those other things because that was the best thing I ever did was to make my own platform to sell online classes. And and for our listeners, why was that why was that the best choice? Oh yeah. It because you know it it's the same reason that I advise when I work with my clients now like not to compete on Etsy. You really want to have your own site, your own platform, your own brand, your own messaging. It's a way that you don't have to um compete with their lower prices that mm-hmm. you might find in one of these bigger markets that you can offer something that's very exclusive and very high end and personal. Okay, so you so you create this site and you put some learnings on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then what do you do? Okay, so the the first cl- the first class I offered was kind of a disaster, honestly. Well, I, I'm not going to say it's a disaster. The, and the class was awesome, and I'm actually still selling it. But the thing is, is I didn't understand online marketing at all. I just thought, you know, oh, you just offer it for sale, like eBay. You just tell people that something's available. So I didn't even have an email list back then, Chad. I had nothing. Well, we all start. Know. We all start from thinking. zero, you know. I didn't know. Well, I didn't even know that you had to. Right, like, right. I, I didn't know what I was thinking. <laughs> so that's when I started really investing in taking online classes and learning how to build an email list and learning how to do Facebook advertising. So that was definitely a, a learning curve for me. But I did know I could figure it out, and I did figure it out. And then, so I guess your next your next attempt at doing like a, a quote unquote proper launch. What did that yes. look like? I, when I first started out, it, I wouldn't even say it was a proper launch yet. But even just when I figured out Facebook advertising, just targeting the fans of Craftsy, Ooh. that, you know, it, mm-hmm. and it was easy. And I think it was being a pioneer, I probably was one of the few people doing it. I don't even know how many people are doing it now. What I'm doing online, I mean, there's a lot of people. No, there's a lot. I take that back. There's a lot of people selling online art classes. 
but I just was tar- targeting their audience. So it was just more, and I think I was even taking them to the sales page. I don't even know if I was doing anything. The next thing I tried was I put together the the video series, like the, and I didn't, I have to admit, I did not take Jeff Walker's course, but I like just basically reverse engineered somebody else's video launch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that worked really, really well with my audience. They loved it, you know, giving them videos where you basically give them results in advance and then you sell them on taking the class. And then you've grown from your courses. You now have a membership site as well. And like, do you do also like group coaching? I do. So I, I, I work with a small group of beginning artists, people who are just starting out. I call it my artist incubator. There's about eight women in there right now. And I mean, they're even intimidated when I mentioned MailChimp, they got all overwhelmed just by the word, right. but right. So they're pretty much where I was 10 years ago. Not that they're going to build online art classes, but just how do they figure out how to sell their art? So I'm working with them on that. And occasionally I do take on private clients who are not necessarily artists who just want to either learn how to start a podcast or any of these other things that I've done. Because obviously, it's not just for artists. The, all these things that I don't teach to my general audience, but I've learned how to do for myself for my own business. People do approach me to do coaching for that. So for the people who are coming to you for the art classes, not the, not the business end of things, yeah. what, what is the promise to them? Yeah. So I give them a very much a step-by-step on how to learn a painting process. I... My, my philosophy is that they shouldn't be learning just how to copy a project, but how to learn a process. And I'm sure that you, you Jen, t- or when you're teaching business, you're also working to do that as well. You're teaching people how to build a system or a structure Absolutely. rather than how to copy your exact business. So it's really the same thing when I'm teaching art. I'm teaching people a process for painting so that when they go to make paintings, they can make it their own. So you're not like those, what do they call them? Like sipping. Oh, I hate what, that. Yeah. <laughs> what are the they called? Sip, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sip places. Yeah. You, you know, and there are a lot of art students who will copy me exactly. And that's really okay, especially when you're first starting out and you don't have the confidence to do it your own way. But that just has to be seen for them as part of the learning process. And then hopefully the next time they try to do something similar that they can have the confidence than to make it their own and do it their own way. So there's always that balance of teaching people how to do things like when, and and I'm sure you know this, like when you're giving them swipe files or you're giving them something else, like it's okay, well, here's a template for you, but see what you, what you can change to make this for your own. Can you imagine, what's his name? Bob Ross, the guy on NPR that used to, I'm not NPR, on public television. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just imagine if he was born, you know, he could be, he could totally be doing online classes and it would look completely, completely different. It's funny how oh, yeah, he's he, also, he, oh, go ahead. He, no, he'd be making a killing right Yeah, now. right. And he's right. turned into this like icon suddenly as well. I see his yeah. face everywhere. Yeah. So for building your list, I'd love to just give our listeners an idea of what your business looks like today. I mean, it's pretty big and- I want to ask you that. And I also want to know like what's how you've built your list in terms of freebies and so forth. 
Okay, so the the launches for, with the three part video series are huge. That's my best list building. And I get the the most leads every time I launch. So that's why when people say, oh, I don't have a big enough list to launch, I just laugh at them because that's how you build your list. I mean, that's part of the benefit of launching is the list building aspect. Not everybody who's going to buy from you, but now they become in your world. So every time, yeah, every time I've launched, it not just builds my list, but it builds everything. It builds all the followings in all the places like Instagram, Facebook, now my podcast, now my, you know, my mini chat bot, all these, all these things grow with each launch. So the launch has a, a benefit besides just the fact that that's how you make money. Such and a good wait, point. Yeah. And then you were asking me about... Oh, gosh, I forgot the question. Where, where's your like? I want, I want, <laughs> I want my listeners to understand, like, really the size of your business. Really, like, it's it's yeah. pretty impressive. So, yeah, I I do a lot. I do have help, of course, which I know, Jen, that's something you teach a lot as well is how to outsource. So, I do have a team helping me. When I first started out, I would just even when I when I very the, when I first first started out with the, like what's an online class, I actually got a high school intern to teach me how to use a video camera and research what what editing software I needed and what platform I should use. And he taught me, right? So that, that's something anybody can do. And I know you teach people how to use a VA. And I've always had these interns. And then a couple of years ago, I ended up hiring a college student who still works for me now. So she's full time with me. And I even have an, a second part-time person. I have a podcast editor and sometimes I bring in copywriters to help me with my launches. So I don't do it all myself. I don't think you can or should do it all yourself. And of course, I've always invested in coaching because it's been really huge as well. So some key things here to really point out is that that I really want to extrapolate from what you said back to, well, first of all, you invest in your business. So you have invested in learning, you have invested in in support, and you have invested in coaching. It's a really scary proposition uh, to people because they're very unsure if the ROI is going to be there. And But I, I wouldn't you agree that those are just very necessary steps if you want to scale your business? Oh, yeah. And I always have kind of like a formula for figuring out when, when I'm going to invest. So uh, Jen, I don't know if you mind I, I share please, like, please, please. about but like about our mo- the, the copy that we just invested in. Can I get oh, into that? Yeah, yeah, details? yeah, please. Okay. So uh, Jen and I just invested in Danielle Weil's um, beta program, a launch copy intensive. And I wasn't even sure if I wanted to invest the time in it. To me, actually, that was the biggest Ditto. thing because yeah, I'm not going to be showing up on every call. But she offered it at kind of a no-brainer price, $1,500, which to some of my your listeners, I know that sounds like a lot of money, and it is a lot of money. But I also knew I was launching a program where I was going to be asking people to invest in me $500 each, which is a pretty similar to what the launch that you're going to be doing as well. Mm-hmm. So I knew that even if her suggestions on my launch copy would bring me three new people, I would break even, right? So that's the kind of math that I will do when I'm trying to decide whether or not to invest in a certain 
kind of program? Is the knowledge going to help me bring in X number of people? What's my break even on it? So that's that's how I decide sometimes whether or not to invest in things. Yeah, it's, so, it's such a smart way of looking at it. And can you also talk about what we've been doing and experimenting with, with the direct mails and like your investment in that and then and your, yeah, your thoughts? Yeah, you know what? I'm really glad you brought that up. And in fact, I haven't actually read this book yet, but somebody recommended to me Over Deliver and it's about that direct response Ooh, marketing. Okay. Have you heard about that? Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah, so you might want to include that, a link to that in your show notes. Sure. But so what we're talking about is actually sending physical mail pieces to people. And this is something that I was comfortable doing for my for my fine art business. What I mean by that is the so I really have two businesses, Jen. I don't know if people realize that I have the business where I'm selling my artwork, mm-hmm. right? And I have the business where I'm teaching online art classes. So for my business for selling my artwork, I've always sent invitations in the mail to my shows right? Mm-hmm. Or cards or things like that. So it was our coach, Ron Reich, who said you can use the same strategy for inviting people to webinars or sending them sales letters. And it's kind of an old school technique that went out of fashion with the rise of email. But now it's something that really all of us should be considering. So what happened most recently is I sent out, I think it was like 100 mail pieces. So it cost me about $100, you know, the printing and the postage and everything. And I made about $6,000 on it. Holy cow. I know. I know. I know. And it was the, I think the last one you did was a postcard reminder for a workshop, right? It was like inviting them to a workshop. And then you had done one prior to that, which was to some of your existing VIP clients uh, to upsell them to a, to another offer. And then you also made out like abandoned on that. Although that's a terrible metaphor, but. <laughs> okay. So wait, wait, I, I think you think I did more than what I did. So first, I did, I, right. so I did do, I did do that, that the hundred mail piece thing that I, I just mentioned what, what I did was I been, I made the mistake, I call it a mistake, but I think people will build a better business if they don't make as many offerings as I have done. But I kept coming out with art class after art class after art class. So what I did was bundled all of the art classes up into like the mega offering. And I said, if you join this, you're, you become part of the VIP society, which is which had a clever acronym, the Very Inspired Painting Society. Oh, I love and it. then I threw in a t-shirt with, with that logo on it. And I threw in an apron and those all had scarcity. You had to sign up by a certain time for, to get these things. And what I did was not send this out to everybody. I mean, I have 7,000 people on my email list. That could be prohibitively expensive. Yes. What I did was I had my assistant download everybody into a spreadsheet with the classes they've taken. And then we only contacted the top 100 people who were closest to completing that set. So we had that set available for everybody. But what we said was that, hey, we know that you're very close to completing the set and artists love sets. You know, like that's mm-hmm. why we like all the colors, all the Copic markers or, you know, all the Posca pens. You want every color. You don't just want eight. You want 
you want it all. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I leaned into that whole idea. You're very close to completing your set. It, once you complete your set, you become this VIP, you get all this cool swag. Here's your exclusive private coupon. Do not share it. So like I said, $6,000 was made from the direct mail campaign. And I believe an additional $4,000 was made through email. Wow. So there were people who had different coupon levels. So the hun the mail pieces that went out had one coupon and the e other emails had different coupons. So we kind of put people into ranges, how close they were, they got, you know, whatever percentage off it was. And you just put those together in Canva, right? And and printed them from Canva, right? Um, or Vista I, the, Print. The, yeah. So the initial ones that I went out which I think made most of my money, to be honest, the initial ones that I, I made in Canva, I downloaded, I printed it out on my computer on yucky paper. Those first 30 or so made most of my money um, because those people were the closest, not only because they were the closest to competing, so they're completing, therefore they're um, their say, their coupon amount was the greatest, but also you have to remember that the people who have taken the most classes with me are also my most raving fans. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then I made a more beautiful piece by submit. I still it was still the Canva piece that I made, but I had it sent to Vistaprint, and they have a beautiful glossy two page flyer. Those did not convert as well in terms of what their intended purpose was. However. One of the people who received that mail piece and didn't take me up on my on that particular offer did join the artist incubator. So, and she even mentioned how much she enjoyed receiving that piece in the mail. So here's the thing, like when we talk about launches or things that you do, sometimes these things that we do, it may not get you that intended result then, but then it has a ripple effect later down the line. Yes, you're planting seeds. Yeah, and it just made her feel special to get something in the mail. She's like, oh, and she mentioned it like, oh, it was so beautifully done. And, and it made her, it made me seem like somebody she wanted to be coached from, like someone to be learned from, that this was the way I was treating my customers. Yeah, and you know, like Ron told us when he first started talking about this, really, even at least my mailbox, even with junk mail, my mailbox is pretty empty these days. I get a few catalogs, oh, yeah. but I'm not even getting like all those glossy postcards I used to get. So when right. when, when you when you show up in somebody's mailbox, it's like 100% open rate. I That's mean, right. Because they're going to put the mail in their hand, even if it does end up in the garbage, but they're going to see it. And you're kind of like you own the mailbox. So That's right. I'm super excited about it. I'm using it for my launch too. Yeah. So then you talked about also um, the second. So that was the first direct response. The second thing that I'm doing, it hasn't gone out yet as of this recording, but it will be going out very soon. It's a save the date postcard for my next webinar. And this is going out to 100 people. And again, uh, you know, there's seven people, thousand people on my list. I'm not sending it to seven thousand people. Uh, I identified the hundred people who did not already invest in this program I'm launching, but are most likely to want it. The, okay, this might be the most exciting thing to me of all because I think this is so genius. Because first of all, with the state of webinars today, like less people showing up, everybody's been like conditioned to watch the replay. 
it's all about attendance on a webinar. Like you want the people on the webinar. And so sending, like nobody does that. Nobody is sending physical reminders in the mail to remind people to show up for this great webinar. So yeah, and and this is not, this is not even, I don't even know if they're going to sign up for the webinar, but here we go. I'm telling, so it's a save the date. It has the bullets that you would see on your, on your opt-in lead page. So Mm -hmm. all that, all the reasons why you want to sign up for the webinar are there. Plus my pretty link for signing up for the webinar, but postcards, physical pieces of mail have a shelf life that stick around. So now this postcard is going to be lying around on somebody's desk Mm -hmm. as a physical reminder if they do sign up for the webinar to show up. It's so good. Like how this old stale marketing method is now like fresh and hot. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's so exciting. I'm really excited about this. All right. So you've got so much going on. You're actually creating art. You're teaching art. You got your podcasts. You've got your membership site. And now I understand you've got a book coming up. Tell me about your book. Uh, Okay. So the book did go out. My husband likes to write poetry. Uh, You know, he, He's a real estate developer, but he likes to write poetry on the side. And he wanted to publish a book of his poems. So I had to convince – I mean, didn't take – I didn't twist his arm or anything. I said, why don't we collaborate? And if I put my art in it, then we can launch the book to my list as well. And they, you know, it becomes more of a collector's piece for people who like my art. So we collaborated on this. I curated art for the book and it is available on Amazon right now. It's called A Writer's Sketch. And I really did put a lot of thought into the whole book launch process, probably overdid it for a poetry book, but it was really important for me when I put something out in the world that I do everything to the same level of professionalism that I would anything else in my business, even things that are, uh, not as profitable. Does that make sense? What, it, what I'm saying? It does, but I want to make sure people don't confuse what you're saying with perfectionism yeah. because I don't think you're that because no, you do not get paralyzed not. by stuff. Like I have noticed oh, no. like you put it out there, you do it. Oh yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't mean that. Um, yeah. And I actually, and I, I released a lot of control with this. I had my assistant uh, curate the art. When I say we, that's what I meant. She did it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes. What does your husband write, write poetry about? Like, is there a theme into his poetry? Yeah, he has chapters and there are themes within it. He is uh, a, also a big believer in, or... He rants a lot about the, what he calls the invisible society. He really wants to bring people back to uh, a more old-fashioned time, kind of like what we're talking about with this physical things. So he likes to play vinyl records. And one of the themes that kind of came up, which was a happy coincidence for us, he actually grew up a few miles from the Woodstock Music Festival, which is celebrating their 50th mm-hmm. anniversary this year. So the cover of the poetry book actually has Yasker's Farm on the cover where the Woodstock Festival was. And there are a lot of poems about his life growing up in the country, as well as his impressions of New York City and then kind of themes about society. So those are those are the themes that he addresses in this collection. But he was he was a little kid though when Woodstock actually happened, right? 
Yeah, he was, I guess he was six, uh, but he was only a few miles from the farm. So he said he remembers hippies skinny dipping in, in the <laughs> pond in their backyard. And yeah, and his father was an egg farmer and couldn't get like to deliver his eggs that day because of all the traffic on 17B coming up for the festival. So there's a lot of stories about um, Woodstock from his family. Yeah, I'm totally fascinated by it with the 50th anniversary and some things that they were talking about, uh, I don't know, in some documentary or on CNN or something. And they were talking about how like they were expecting 40,000 and it ended up being 400,000 and what it means to have that many people there that who didn't bring water. There were no real bathrooms. Like from a logistical standpoint, I was like, what a nightmare that actually probably really was on, in a, on a lot of levels. Like, yeah, I'm sure it was fun, but it was also probably pretty gross. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and it <laughs> rained, like it rained a ton. So, yeah. Right. They didn't even have porta potties. Like, I know. What the heck? You know? Yeah. And so. it was days, right? It was like a weekend yeah. or something. So, anyway. All right. So you and I actually have something else in common besides our online businesses. And that is we've come out of the closet with our love for Real Housewives. And so (laughs) I am going to test your, I'm going to test your housewives knowledge. I'm only watching New York franchise. You only watch New York? Yeah. So if you have questions prepared for me, like I know who Vicky is in the in the California, uh, like I've she's seen, right, I know she's been demoted to friend of, but the, but the New York house, <laughs> the New York housewives might right. What are we going to do so, about Bethany? Wait, what the heck? Wait, so wait, can can we just share with your listeners how, how like sick I am about this? My daughter and I not only do we watch the episode, but we watch the Barbie reenactments which that uh, so which Heather McDonald does on Instagram, <laughs> and then we even found this podcast with with these two comedians. Basically, they script the whole thing, the whole episode by like redoing the accents and everything, and then throw in a couple of jokes. So. So it's like it's like the show, the Barbie reenactments, the podcast. Sometimes we'll watch the show twice that so we can pause and discuss and Google the outfits. Oh, so. I totally Google the outfits. I have bought outfits. Right. I bought one time Kyle right. Richards' outfit from Beverly Hills. I was like, and I knew I had I wouldn't be the only one who was Googling it. So sure enough, I typed not. in like Kyle Richards, and immediately it was like Kyle Richards' dress like popped up and. <laughs> And uh, and then it was already like completely inflated on eBay. I had to get it on eBay, but whatever. Okay, no, this isn't New York. This is just a sound clip, and you have to guess who it is. Okay. Oh no. And actually, I don't know if it's going to work through. Anyway, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna dub it in after the. But I only watched New York, so how am I going to? You're know still going to know. You're going to know who it is. Okay, ready? Okay. Let's see here. Is that the one from Orange County who got fat and then lost weight? Oh, Vicky, and uh, not Vicky. Shannon, no, it's not Shannon. Although I saw her in the orange, I saw her in the orange calorie air, airport, and she was oh, no really like a toothpick. Okay. Oh, here we go. If you thought that I was cold before, hell has frozen over, honey. Okay, who's that? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's, it's Erica Jane. Yeah, I don't know. Erica Jane. I couldn't make it. She's the one who's like got the big blonde hair and she's in um, Beverly Hills and she's like turned into like a a Lady Gaga sort of wannabe. But anyway, 
I yeah, I know. I did watch a season of Beverly Hills um, with Camille. The whole year, Camille was going through the divorce with uh, uh, Frazier, whatever his name is. Yeah, I thought I found that fascinating. Um, <laughs> so, well, I'm definitely going to link to the Barbie and the. You got to give me the links to the Barbie and the podcast because I saw one of those Barbie segments on Instagram and it is hilarious. And I need to. Start. Oh, hysterical! So Heather shouts to Heather McDonald. Um, she basically gets these Barbie outfits made that look like the outfits they wear on TV. Like she, you know, it's uh, Sonia wearing a dress with the pink flower bow in the front. Like these, they look just like they're themselves. It's really hysterical. Yeah. I think so. they've got, she's gotten quite a following. It's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you got, you got all this stuff. And I want to know about your podcast because we haven't talked about your podcast. Like what's it about? Who do you talk with? Tell us about your podcast. Yes. So my podcast is all about bridging the gap for creative between what we learn on on the business sites and then how do you apply it for art. But I, it definitely has a strong self-development bent. So I've had people on like Todd Herman and Denise Duffield-Thomas. So people, we talk about the money blocks, we talk about um, the alter ego. And I like to bring in kind of like unusual guests that way. I don't generally talk to a lot of artists because it's a little bit it's not really what my podcast is about it's not about people's origin stories I like to make it actionable for my listeners so they come away feeling like they really learned something so it's called the inspiration place and I guess you can go to shulmanart.com forward slash itunes or just search for the inspiration place and that that's what you will find there are lots of self-development, as well as how to make money as a creative. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely link to that in the show notes. And another thing that I love that you have on your website, and I'll put a link to this as well, but you've got this book club and the books that you have there are excellent. Like they're not, you know, they're, they're great for anybody, not just not artists, not business people, sort of everybody, great professional and self-development books. Well, most of those people have been guests on my podcast. Oh, Perfect. Yeah. So that's how I started it. Yeah. So uh, one book I absolutely recommend to everybody, I think we talked about this on your Alexa flash briefing was rest. So I had brought Dr. Alex Pink on. It's about how to work less, how successful people work less. So a lot of those books are people who have been on the podcast. And then there's a few other ones on there. If during the conversation of my podcast, we these books will come up, then I will also put it on there. So it's a great way for people who love to read and invest in themselves that way to find it all in one place. I love that. All right. Well, Miriam, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I've learned a ton. You guys, make sure and check out her podcast, Inspiration Place. And, um, and thank you. Thank you so much. This was so much fun, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, did you know that I have an Amazon Alexa flash briefing called The Front Row Entrepreneur? And every morning, Monday through Friday, I deliver to you the latest, most important news in online marketing and uh, social media that I think you need to know about for your business. And if you'd like to enable that on your Alexa device, just say, Alexa, open The Front Row Entrepreneur. At that point, 
every morning when you say, Alexa, play my flash briefings, it will play automatically. Or you can just download it on your phone on the Alexa app, and uh, that'll do the trick as well. Until next time, remember that life is short. Sit on the front row whenever you get the chance.